Okay, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day to gather together like this as your children, saved by grace through faith in your precious Son. We thank you for this privilege. Every time we get to do this and open your book is a privilege and an opportunity we should never be familiar with. Help us to appreciate this evening in the moment right now and enjoy your word and your spirit guiding us. Father, we also ask that you bless all in our congregation who are sick right now and struggling. You know their ailments, Father. You know the cure. We ask that you give them spiritual healing and peace as well as physical. Of course, your will be done. And Father, we ask that you bless this message right now Guide us by your spirit and help us understand supernatural spiritual things. We ask these things in Christ's precious name, and it's by the power of your spirit we pray. Amen. All right. The Deceitfulness of Sin, Part 72. So on Sunday, we heard about some encouragement that our pastor received from our dear deacon's wives. And that was, that was a great example to all of us, I hope, I believe. And we were again stirred up by the Spirit to encourage one another. So this has been a side theme, if you will, over the last several lessons. So let's start with this point on the board and just something I, I guess the Spirit put on my heart while I was studying. And that is regarding encouragement, don't be an island or think others are okay being that way. And right here you kind of see two sides of a coin, two different situations. We ourselves should be careful to not be an island, not try to be self-sufficient, um, you know, in the sense of not needing encouragement or being around others, etc. And also I don't think we should think others are okay being that way. Um, sometimes it's easy to avoid someone or, or not pay someone any attention if they're choosing to be isolated and we think that they're quote-unquote okay in that but nobody's designed to be that way we're not designed to be that way we're designed to function as a body so just a initial warning I guess from the spirit on encouragement don't be an island yourself or think others are okay being that way Hebrews 10.25 we've seen, and Romans 1.12 we'll see again, which we saw on Sunday. So stop isolating yourself, excuse me, stop isolating yourself, if that's you. If the Apostle Paul needed encouragement, then so do you. Of all people, if he needed it, how can we say we are immune to that or not needing other people in our lives in some way? So accept the help and love of the family of God that God has given you. It's been granted to all of us for a reason. This place, this family, our pastor, where we are right now in our lives has been granted to us for a reason. Nothing's coincidence. So accept that help and love. 
stop being, um, I don't know, <laughs> what we try to be in the flesh, right? I guess it's a form of arrogance. But stop thinking you can be isolated and you don't need people. Instead, encourage one another more and more as the day draws near, as we've seen in Hebrews 10.25. And we saw a wonderful translation on Sunday showing us how humble we each should be regarding encouragement. So on the board, we again see Romans 1.12 in the NLV. Both of us need help. I can help make your faith strong, and you can do the same for me. We need each other. And that was written by the Apostle Paul. How many times, I was thinking about in the back as I was getting ready, how many times do you think Paul might have been encouraged by the faith of a new believer on his missionary journeys, men, women, maybe even children, uh, people that were thankful to him for maybe saving them, right, bringing them to the knowledge of Christ? How many times do you think he was uh, encouraged? How many times do you think he needed to be encouraged? as he was being stoned and beaten and ridiculed and mocked and, you know, spit upon in every way. How many times do you think he needed that boost? And God provides it through the Spirit, but through a person. So, again, we're made to interact with each other and encourage one another by our faith. So this is the wonderful privilege we're called to. And never, ever think that you don't have something to offer. We can be so hard on ourselves at times thinking that we don't have the right words to say or whatever we get caught up in. But Romans 12.3, remember, at the end of Romans 12.3, it says, God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Each person, each believer, a measure of faith. And that's not just quantity. That's even type of faith. We each have a different type of faith. We can't even explain how faith, how each person's faith is different. And imagine that with billions and billions of believers throughout history, each person's faith is slightly different by the grace of God. We each have a measure of faith. So you have a measure that's different than everybody else, and you have a measure to contribute or utilize that God gave you by grace. And you also have a measure you need to receive that you don't possess that God's provided other people to encourage you with. So let's encourage one another's faith. And think about this. We all have the opportunity to help someone else bring glory to God in their lives. Just think about that for a minute. Who the heck are we, right? But you have, if you're a believer, I don't care how insufficient you think you are or unable you think you are, you have, as a believer, the opportunity to help another person bring glory to God in their lives. You might, you know, one day be the impetus for uh, a pastor, an evangelist, or somebody stepping out in faith in that gift. How do you know? You could say the right thing at the right time, not even knowing they're needing it, and all of a sudden they step out in faith versus quitting. How many people, right, get on that? fence, so to speak, that point of critical discernment where they want to quit. We've all been there in some form over the years. And then all of a sudden, you can tell it's a divine appointment that God brings you somebody. And you can't deny that it's a divine appointment 
a person brought to you to encourage you to go forward instead of backward. So don't underestimate the grace of God, really, because you, we've each been given a measure of faith, all by grace. So on the board, we saw this on Sunday, do not be deceived. It is a privilege to have the time, energy, and opportunity to encourage another human being. It is a pure privilege. Who are we to get to participate in God's plan and have it have an eternal effect? And by the way, this is not only for believers, but how about encouraging an unbeliever? Maybe even to believe in the gospel. Maybe even to repent and turn to Christ with their heart. And th that encouragement, which really encouragement is a show of love if you think about it, might be something they've never seen before from anybody. So it truly is a privilege that we have the ability to change someone's life even. Not by our power, obviously, but by our simple encouragement. So on the board, again, never think anything less of encouragement than what it truly is, a privilege. It's a pure privilege. The same goes for any form of living for others. As a believer, you and I are part of God's majestic plan to bring glory to himself in front of the angels. And if we lose sight of that, we're losing sight of the big picture. Because that is what's always going on around us at all times. Not to mention bringing glory to himself in front of other people. But especially in front of the angels, as the Bible talks about, even in the face of Satan and the fallen angels. You have been granted this place in God's plan by grace to participate in such divine purpose. That's why it's a privilege. You, you, it's a privilege to just be alive, right? We don't deserve to be alive and still breathing. And then he says, not only am I going to keep you alive, I'm going to use you for good. I'm going to use you for good. It's ridiculous, really. So we really should always come back to that place. We should always go back to that place of divine purpose and, and God's plan in front of the angels as our motivation. And because of that pure privilege that we've been given that we don't deserve, we really should never be miserable. I mean, we all get miserable at times. We just, we're in the flesh, the world beats on us, whatever. Sometimes friends turn on us. It's going to happen. But knowing our purpose is that far beyond this world that it has an eternal purpose to it, our, even our daily activities and interactions, that should remove us from misery, as well as the person of Christ doing that for us. Really, he's the solution. On the board, escaping misery, it's impossible to remain miserable if we focus on Christ. Whenever we are miserable or depressed, we must turn around and look at Jesus Christ. If you pause and turn around and look at Jesus Christ in your heart and your soul for who he is, you look at his beauty and his love for you, you look at his cross that he willingly carried for you, that, by the way, he embraced for you, when you look at him and you turn around and look at him that way, you have to drop the misery. 
because he's an overwhelming being that left heaven and did what he did for you and I. So it's only when we get our eyes off of Christ that we're miserable. And when we are miserable, we have the power and the ability, ability by grace to turn around, which is one of the definitions for repent. So whenever we're caught in that place of sin, which is what misery really is, a place of sin and self-pity, whenever we're caught there, we need to repent. We need to turn around and look at Christ again so that we're not being fooled, fooling ourselves. He can brighten our day at any moment we turn to Him. We don't have to be deceived into being miserable. And we can turn to Him and be saved every day we are alive. Just think about that. He saves us daily, right? I mean, from our very selves even. We can turn to Him and be saved every day that we're alive. And enjoy His grace. Enjoy His mercy. But, on the board, when our focus or affections are diverted from Christ, misery seeps in and ruins our joy. In this new estate, we don't feel like doing anything but wallowing in self-pity and self-induced misery. In other words, then you're kind of stuck because encouraging others is no longer at the top of your mind. And this is where gratitude can save us and turn us around. Even the Apostle Paul, who could have become very arrogant with his wisdom and position in the church, even he wisely maintained he was nothing without God. And he knew he would never arrive in this lifetime. So that's why he continually put the past behind him and reached forward to what God had for him next which is one of the secrets to living the spiritual life. Turn in your Bibles again to Philippians 3.13. Philippians 3.13. Again, Paul was very wise in this, in this simple um, manner of living. He was always quick to put the past behind him and look forward to what was next, even amidst his failures and his weaknesses, which he definitely had and revealed to us. Philippians 3.13 Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. In other words, the one thing I don't do is think I have it laid hold of. But the one thing I do do is I forget what lies behind and reach forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So this got me thinking. See, Paul, Paul lived in the moment. Paul lived in the moment. He never knew his last day. Probably it, it helped his spiritual life by being attacked and people trying to kill him. He literally didn't know how many more days if he was going to survive the next attack, etc. So he lived in the moment. How much time do we have remaining in this life? And shouldn't we constantly be focused on what God has for us next? In 
instead of focusing on the past, for example. Isn't life too short to dwell on our failures and let them hold us down, hold us back from bringing glory to God? It's so easy to condemn yourself when you fail and to not move forward, to not repent and move forward. It's so easy to fall for that trap of, I guess, self-pity you're talking about. And what happens when you're in that self-pity place? You, you, you aren't looking forward. You're looking down. You're not looking forward. You're not utilizing the grace and mercy God's given you in the given day. And so, in that sense, we're deceived by sin when we do that. Shouldn't we constantly be focused on what God has for us next? Life is too short to let failures hold us back when God says we can go forward by mercy and grace. So we only have a little time left. However you want to you know, measure that or even perceive what I just said, it's a true statement. We only have a little time left. So what's the right way to view the rest of our lives? If a doctor told you today you only have a few months to live, what would be the view on the rest of your life? How would you look at it? If the doctor said you have to August 31st, you know what I mean, that's kind of a little too specific. But if the doctor said you only have to the end of the summer, how would you look at June, July, and August? Would you not wonder how you could make the rest of your days count for God's glory instead of wasting them away? So if that's true, why don't we do that now? Every day, one day at a time, because we have no idea if we're going to be here tomorrow anyway. Why don't we have that perspective now, which we see in Philippians 3, 13, and 14? On the board, our time is short. If you knew you only had a short time remaining, would you allow earthly distractions to prevent you from living for God? Especially staying in a place of self-pity when you fail. Would you allow that to happen? Or would you take advantage of the days left? As in Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. Everything I just said, relatively speaking, is true about the brevity of our days. So what's the right way to look at the remaining days we have on earth? Again, look at Philippians 3.14 in your Bible. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Do you? This is why the deceitfulness of sin is so dangerous. It can lead us to waste away precious time and opportunities, precious privileges to encourage one another, for example, which we can never get back once they've passed us. So, for example, tonight when you tuck yourself into bed at 9, 10, 11 o'clock, for all you crazy late people, 1.30 in the morning, whenever you tuck yourself into bed, and you thank God for the day, hopefully. Your time is passed for today. Your opportunity has passed for today to encourage someone, for example, or to live for others. 
Am I right? It is past. You can never get that back. You can't get out of bed, okay, if it's 1.30, especially because it's the next day. You can't get out of bed and make something count for yesterday because it's now gone. So what's our perspective? What was Paul's perspective? Don't let the deceitfulness of sin, including self-pity and things like that, waste away your privilege and opportunity. It's given to us one day at a time for a reason. On the board, Ephesians 5, 15 through 17 in the ESV. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And it goes on to talk about being filled with the Spirit. Have we not learned that sin, and this even came out on Sunday, have we not learned that sin is anything that is against the will of the Lord? And what do we have here? Verse 17, do not be foolish. In other words, don't do your own will, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Time is minimal. So this is an interesting call of the trumpet, we might say, in Ephesians 5. It's like an alarm or an alert calling us to pay attention and not miss the mark while we still have days left. But what it comes down to is not listening to the distractions from Satan and the kingdom of darkness and the world and your flesh. Stop allowing Satan and the kingdom of darkness to distract you, to take you away from that privilege and opportunity to get caught up with the things in the world. I got to buy this. I got to have that. I got to do this. I got my bucket list. Whose bucket list is it, by the way? Yours or God's? Anyone's bucket list I've heard of is 99% my stuff that I want to do. Will it, will it be wood, hay, or straw at the judgment seat? Or gold, silver, and precious stones? What's your bucket list? You know, is it for God? Think about that. But Satan distracts us with even those, quote-unquote, good things. Again, on the board, our time is short. Let's not buy the lies of the world, the fears and the empty promises, to take our eyes off the prize. Listen, if you're already saved, Satan knows he can't do anything about that. But he does not want you receiving rewards in heaven and bringing glory to God in that way. And so he's like, I'll do whatever I can to fool these people. Take their eyes off the prize. Give them another prize that's in the world that's temporary. That's very tempting to their flesh because Satan knows our flesh better than we do. The key word, word in, on the board here in this point is lies. And this has been an emphasis, and it, it's coming up again later in the lesson because it came up on Sunday. Lies are what Satan uses to get us off track, to pull us away from Christ, to get our eyes off the prize. We're here to do a minimal amount of things, aren't we? We're here to bring glory to God by living for others. We're here to spread the gospel, the Great Commission. We're here to love one another. So it really is simple, but Satan says, no, 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 no. I don't want you using 
your time valuably. I don't want you to make it, you know, something with eternal value to it. I want you to look at another prize. Let's not buy the lies. They're going to come from all directions. This is going to come up later on in our lesson too. They're going to come from all directions and from all sorts of people. Look for the lies. They're even going to come from people that are quote-unquote innocent that don't realize they're lying to you because they're deceived, especially if they're unbelievers. So look out for the lies. Our time is short. Don't take your eyes off the prize. Philippians 3.14 and 2 Timothy 4.7-8. I put this on the board for you in the NIV because I, I like the translation here at the end. 2 Timothy 4.7-8. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Don't take your eyes off the prize. And God knows each of our hearts. For example, if we long for his appearing or not, if we're eager to see him or not, or if we're just living for self and caught up in that worldly deception. God knows each of our hearts, and he rewards those who wait for him with faith and endurance as in this passage. It's when we live in Christ's commands and His peace rules in our hearts that we bring Him the most glory. So, as has been coming out lately, our first priority should be to protect our peace, to stay in the sphere of Christ's love. As the Spirit's been saying, avoid the fear tactics of the world, of the news, for example, of television, the lies that spew forth from that. And by the way, I was thinking about this earlier too. They're not all lies. They're part lies. When you hear news stories, it might be 90% true. But have you ever heard of uh, sensationalizing? Isn't that lying? Isn't that adding things in to make it more spectacular, even if it's not true? To get the ratings? So lies are mixed with truth, and that's one reason we shouldn't watch a lot of things we watch, but we got to be on guard for that and take everything with a grain of salt in this world. Protect your peace. Avoid the fear tactics of Satan, and simply trust God. God wants us to continually trust Him instead of trusting in other things. And what pleases the Lord is when we obey Him and trust Him. So simple. And He is our power and our protection. That's what I get out of reading Psalm 28, which has been mentioned in the last couple of lessons. So turn in your Bibles to Psalm 28, verse 7. Psalm 28, 7. I mean, the, it's the most basic things that please our God. Faith and trust and love. Psalm 28, 7. The Lord is my strength 
and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and I am helped. Therefore my heart exults, and with my song I shall thank him. So first off, you see the Lord is our strength and our shield. And it's only when we trust in him that we are helped. Isn't that what it says? The Lord is our strength, first of all. In other words, all things are possible with God. All, do you believe that you could do anything in this world? If it's God's will and God's with you, which he is. If it's God's will and you go forward by faith, do you believe you can do literally anything in this world? We've got to ask ourselves that question. If you face a Goliath who's nine and a half feet tall, do you believe you can beat him? You should. I mean, you can't, right? But you should because you know God can make a way, plain and simple, just like David did it. That's what it means when it says, the Lord is my strength. And at the same time, it says, he is my shield. And that means he protects us along that journey. He protects us from the things we don't see, for example. So he's both our power and our protection. And David, for example, knew this so well. And that's why his heart exulted. And that's why David sang to the Lord so much. He knew God like this. He knew this was who God was and wanted to be in his life. So we have to ask ourselves, do we trust God for that? Do we trust God like that? Once again, bringing glory to God is not rocket science. Even a child can bring glory to God in this simple way. Which don't forget, in our example here, David was a teenager. We would say he's a child. He was a young man when he beat Goliath. The faith of a child. Do you trust him to be that for you? your strength, and your shield. So again, the time is short. We might want to look forward and step out by faith while we still have the opportunity, trusting him with every step that we take. Because he's this God on the board in Hebrews 1.3, part B in the Amplified. Jesus Christ is upholding and maintaining and propelling all things the entire physical and spiritual universe by his powerful word, carrying the universe along to its predetermined goal. By his word, he's maintaining the universe. Just like by his word, he created all things in Genesis. Not one of us is going to die apart from God saying it's the right time. So if that is true, why do we live in fear? rather than reaching forward to what lies ahead, stepping out by faith. It's a trust issue, ultimately. We must rest in God's ability to empower us and protect us at the same time. And as the Spirit gave us on Sunday, I put this on the board for you, regarding the deceitfulness of sin. Don't let your own sin nature concoct reasons why you ought to begin doubting God's divine providence in your life. Don't let it happen. Don't let it do that to you. 
Don't let it make you doubt. Once we begin down that unholy road, we leave our joy and peace behind. So our goal is a pure relationship with God through Christ. A pure relationship with God. That's what sanctification is all about. You know, uh, holiness, being set apart. It comes from being whole with a W. Holy for God. That's where God's taking us. So when we leave our joy and peace behind by entertaining doubt, we slow our growth. We slow the place God wants to take us, the miracles even that he wants to do in our lives, with us and through us. We slow that all down. Don't let the sin nature concoct reasons why you should begin to doubt God's divine providence in your life. This growth, this pure relationship is only possible, as we know by now, hopefully, in getting to know God through His Word. If we invest in Him this way, He will reveal many wonderful things to us over time. Even personally. He will personally reveal things to you. If we invest in Him this way, if we invest in our friendship, we might say, because He's already offered His and proved it at the cross, are we willing to invest in that friendship? Jesus Christ is our best friend. And hopefully we all come to that personal revelation in time, in the time we have left. It's one thing to say that, but it's another thing to experience that and believe that. Jesus Christ is our best friend. And to reach forward to what lies ahead in that area, to take the risk and invest in your friendship with Christ through his word. What, what else is there, by the way? How many times do you need to fall on your face in the world and see the empty promises of the world before you finally give up that, holding on to that stuff? The Spirit also gave us on Sunday regarding God being love. Christ himself showed us how to form healthy relationships, and he showed us that to love is to give. That's a big statement. He showed us very simply, to love is to give. He showed us how to form true, good relationships. It calls for reaching out to others unselfishly. It's funny how, you know, in our flesh at least, we want the friendship received, but we don't want to give. The flesh wants friends, wants people to do things for it, but doesn't want to give to others and express friendship. But the Bible tells us the truth, that our true happiness comes from that very thing, right? From living for others in some way, rather than thinking it's all about us. You may even make yourself vulnerable in some ways by doing so, by putting yourself out there for others. But we have to remember God is our protection. So take the risk. It's worth it. It literally could mean eternal salvation to somebody. At least have some eternal repercussions. 
Jesus showed us how it's done, right? Again, on the board, he showed us that to love is to give. And he showed us the uh, results of it through purchasing our eternal life for us. So while that's not our particular calling, we have the ability to have eternal effect on the lives of others. And our lives are not about ourselves. They are about God and his people. And when you decide to own that, you'll be free from so many lies that are fluttering through your soul, even right now. Again, our lives are not about ourselves. They're about God and his people. But until you own that, you're not going to be set free. So while the world seeks to take, 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 Jesus sought to give and showed us how to give, showed us what love really looks like, and also the blessings of it. And I love this phrase that came out on uh, Sunday, that Jesus labored his whole life in order to show us his love. It's one thing to do something for someone. It's another thing to do something for someone over and over and over and over and over, even though they ignore you, mock you, etc., etc. Isn't it? I mean, some parents do that for their children. They stick with them for years and years and years and years, even though they continue to make bad decisions. That's a sacrifice. That's a labor of love. And Jesus did that to the ultimate perfection his whole life to show us love. He's like, I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to stop short. I'm going to go all the way. I'm going to go to the cross, complete God's will for me, so that nobody can rationally doubt my love. He did whatever it took, in other words. And so he hopes that we embrace that calling and that we imitate him, that we live for others that unselfishly. And if we do, we're going to be blessed for it. So again, on the board from Sunday, relationships require effort. We seek to give rather than to receive. And Christ is our pristine example. And selfish lovers are terrible in relationships because if they even give at all to another person, it is always tainted with a desire for personal gain. So we're again going to note John 15 now. I'll turn again to John 15, verse 11. We're going to note that to share his joy involves keeping his commands, especially the one he declared after his statement about joy. And by the way, don't be familiar with this passage. Rather be thankful he's taking us here once again. John 15, 11. These things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. 
is a point worth repeating from the last couple lessons on the board. I have called you friends. Friends are those we share confidential things with. Our hopes, our dreams, our innermost intents, etc. Jesus intimates such things with his sheep, but only those who come to truly know him will ever benefit. Jesus makes his secrets known to those who seek him. Those who seek will find. And then he asks when we find, when he reveals these things to us, he asks that we do them. If we're his friends, we'll actually take the wisdom he reveals to us and do them. If we're his friends. He's already our friend. Are we going to invest in that friendship also? So as we read God's love letters to us, the very intimate letters from the Bible, we must be careful to read them with an attitude that they are love letters from God. How would you read the Bible if you really believe that is true? How would you read the Bible if you really believe that God's Word is basically love letters to us? What, in other words, what would your attitude be when you open up the book? This brings us to a very important emphasis from last week that we must read the Bible with an intent to learn. What is our intention? Isn't God always looking at the intents of our heart? Hebrews 4.13, I believe it is. 4.12. The Word knows our thoughts and intentions of the heart. He knows if we read the Bible with an intent to learn, with an intent to get to know Him, or for some religious reason instead. So we must read the Bible with intent to learn. As the Spirit told us, you're better off reading one chapter with the intent of seeing better who Jesus is, with the intent of getting to know Him. You're better off reading one chapter than a whole book and saying, Ah, I finished a whole book today. Who cares? The flesh does. The flesh will put you on a treadmill and a competition, even with others in your church. How much did you read today? You, won't, you might not say that, but that's the flesh. That's what the flesh is thinking. I know, because this wicked flesh thinks that. Right? So, let's drop the garbage, the religious garbage. This is about a personal relationship, is it not? When you open your Bible, it's about private time with the Lord. Every time we open our Bibles, that should be our attitude. How do you read the Bible? Do you read it with an intent to learn? So this is about a relationship and not a religion. It's about getting to know. Listen to this carefully because it's easy to just take this for granted because you've heard this term before. It's about getting to know the King, and the, King, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords better. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the God of the universe. It's about getting to know Him better. How can we trivialize that? How can we make that a religion and a treadmill? It's easy because the flesh is involved and the world and blah, all the other garbage that 
tries, lies to us, back to lies, really. But here we are with the opportunity to get to know the God who created us, and we make it into something it's not supposed to be. God is not about quantity with the wrong heart. He's about us having the right heart before him every single time, even if we read one verse. We're called to be faithful in the little things. This also came up on Sunday. We want to approach the good book every time with the faith of a child. How does a child look at it? With openness, with humility, ready to learn something better than he already knows. If we want to know the heart of God, we must learn his word. We must have an intent to learn more about him from his word. And if we go on the journey that way, again, it's how we read our Bible. It's not just that we read our Bible. If we go on our journey that way, we're going to be rewarded with his peace and his rest. Because when you seek, you will find. If you seek for him with all your heart. It's not a trick to it. It's very simple and it's very real. On the board, Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's what he promises for the one that comes to him with the right heart. Seeking him. Hebrews 4.11 Therefore let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. His rest and his peace, as we've been learning, is the capstone of sanctification. It's where God wants us to be. He's like, I want you to be over here in this place of peace when nobody Nothing in this world can disturb your peace. Even if you only have a few months left, nothing can disturb the peace I want to give you. The only question is if we receive it through humility, through seeking for him in humility. And his peace is our protection, regardless of the details of life that come at us. So a few verses on peace to review Psalm 4, 8, in peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Do you personally believe that? That he alone is in control of your safety and protection. And that if something happens where you're attacked or harmed, it must be part of his plan for you to bring him glory by faith. Do you believe that? Do you trust him no matter what? That's a test we're all going to get because of just what life is. And that's a good test. Again, on the board, Psalm 4.8, In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. Put it all on him. John 16.33 Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. In other words, you will be attacked. But take courage, I have overcome the world. You can have my peace. 
all the time. And whether we focus on our flesh or on His Spirit, that's what determines our peace. Whether we focus on self or on Christ, that's what determines our peace. But we can always turn around. We can always repent. We can always be saved from that moment of misery by turning and looking at Christ. Romans 8, 6 on the board, For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Where are your eyes? Where where is your mind? Who are you looking at? And Psalm 4, um, sorry, Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So as we've been noting, this peace, which is supernatural and apparently very powerful in our lives, it all comes as a function of grace. It's all from the grace of God. We know the source. We are called to do certain things. We are called to follow Him, basically, and that this peace will come to us and even overtake us. So we're not to look for shortcuts or counterfeits. We're to rely on the grace of God every step of the way. In 1 Timothy 2.4, God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And as we saw on Sunday, the only way that folks like you and I can never come to the knowledge of the truth is if we believe lies. We're back to lies. We're back to lies that are subtle. These aren't on billboards. They're not obvious. And that's why we need the word every day. And we need to, to uh, keep our guard up for lies and the sources of the lies. It'll come from the oddest places sometimes. The greatest lies of all are regarding the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, the first time I saw that statement, I took that for granted. I had to really think about that. The greatest lies of all are about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Think about what Satan wants to deceive us to believe in. That it's about works, for example. It's about self, for example. These are lies about the gospel. That repentance is not an issue in the gospel. That's a lie about the gospel. So the greatest lies of all are regarding the gospel of Jesus Christ. And these lies come in many forms and from many directions. So as we begin to close, turn to 2 Timothy 3.6. 2 Timothy 3.6. So this is how we might not come to the knowledge of the truth, that God wants us to see the secrets and the things Jesus said he revealed to us. This is how we might not see those things. 2 Timothy 3, 6 and 7. For among them, talking about false teachers who teach doctrines of demons, for among them are those who enter into households 
and captivate weak women weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now I'm going to give you three more translations of that passage we just read just to get a different flavor and see you know, how this might apply to our lives on the board. 2 Timothy 3, 6-7 in the NIV. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. In the Living Bible, they are the kind who craftily sneak into other people's homes and make friendships with silly, sin-burdened women and teach them their new doctrines. Women of that kind are forever following new teachers, but they never understand the truth. And by the way, this is not just women, really. Men can fall for this too, but it speaks of a certain type of person that listens to everything, that wants to have their ears tickled, maybe. And then in the message translation, these are the kind of people who smooth-talk themselves into the homes of unstable and needy women and take advantage of them. Women who, depressed by their sinfulness, take up with every new religious fad that calls itself truth. They get exploited every time and never really learn. So we have to be on guard for the people that the kingdom of, of darkness will try to use to deceive us away from the full knowledge of the truth. And they'll come in all shapes and sizes. He'll use religious people and he'll use non-religious people. He'll use good people and evil people, overtly speaking. Satan will use people that pose as friends and he'll use those that tempt us as lovers. He'll use people of power and he'll also use people of low means. Satan, remember, has no scruples. Nothing's off guard with him. Or, you know, nothing is sacred with him. He has no scruples. We must always prayerfully be on guard for his pawns that he uses to drag the saints down with lies. This is his way of getting us away from the knowledge of the truth. He will try whatever he can to drag you away from Jesus being your first love. Think about that again. Satan doesn't care if you're already saved. He, he's okay with Jesus being your third love. <laughs> he doesn't want Jesus being your first love. He'll do whatever he can to drag you away from what's really important. For, to drag you away from the secrets that Jesus says I reveal to my friends. He doesn't want you to know the whole truth like that. He doesn't want you to be sanctified and experience this peace that can't be touched. Satan doesn't want you to have that. So he'll use whatever lies he can to pull you away from Jesus being your first love. So this series is the deceitfulness of sin. He'll trick us any way he can to pull us away from that. So we're going to close with a few scriptures that also talk about what we read about in 2 Timothy 3, 6-7. The types of people he uses. 
to get us away from the whole truth, if you will. So turn in your Bibles to Galatians 2, verse 4. Galatians 2, 4. Look at these as some warnings from the Holy Spirit. But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. You see right there what's being attacked is the gospel and the whole truth, if you will, the fullness of the gospel. Turn to Titus 1, verse 10. Titus 1, verse 10. It's always a test to find Titus. Probably three pages. Titus 1.10 For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. So there we see a different view of our deceivers those that come to us with lies. Go to 1 Thessalonians 5.21. 1 Thessalonians 5.21. But examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. Turn to Jude, verse 3. Jude, verse 3, right before Revelation. We're going to look at Jude verses 3 and 4. Again, just think of it like as another perspective or another angle that the kingdom of darkness is coming at us with as you read about these people that are out there trying to deceive us. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So there we have to look out for those that turn the grace of God into licentiousness or immorality and loose living, and they deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Our final verse, go to 2 Peter 3, verse 10. 2 Peter 3, 10. The Spirit is saying, be on guard. 
Even friends will, knowingly or unknowingly, try to pull you away from Christ as your first love and even lie about the gospel. 2 Peter 3.10 But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of scriptures to their own destruction. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard, so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men, and fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word that rescues us and saves us every day. We ask, Father, that You help us Turn to your word always with an intent to learn, with the humility of a child, always open and always seeking who you are. Father, we are grateful and thankful for everything you give us here at our church, for our pastor, for this building, and for our own Bibles even. Help us never take these things for granted, Father, and help us, Father, to be on guard for these things that we just read about so that we don't succumb to the lies and miss out on the prize. Father, please bless us all as we go. It's in Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of your Spirit.